Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today is a former Broadway dancer, singer, and actor whose experience with pregnancy and birth inspired her recently released children's picture book called The Sun, the Moon, and the Stars. The book addresses themes of connection to the universe, universal love, and the idea that we can all shine our light to help others. Rachel Montez Minor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Berlin. It is lovely to be here. Okay, first of all, anybody listening already can hear the light coming out of you. You're like that worker's light that they put up at nighttime when they're working on the road and you can see it from space. <laughs> Love that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, you have incredible positive energy and just warmth and kindness just drip off of you when you're walking. I sometimes slip on it behind you. Thank you so much. I wish everyone could see the smile that those words just brought across my uh, face. I'm shining my light, my little pen light. Yes. Yes, I shine the light, you shine it back, we reflect, we lift up humanity, easy, done, problem solved. I just feel so much better. <laughs> Thank you. Before we get into your book, let's talk about other awesome things about you. Where are you from originally? I am from Los Angeles, California, one of the rare birds that was born and raised here. Yeah, I've heard of Los Angeles. It's over on the west side. Funny place, <clears throat> even though it rained all day today, which was lovely. Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. I love that rain today. See the rainbow? Because I did. Yes, I have a picture. I do, too. Oh, 20s. Twenties, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> All right. So Los Angeles, California. And then like how do you get into performing arts? Is that a conscious choice? You know, it chose me the same way this book chose me. I don't remember ever not wanting to dance. My parents told me I was like two when I started telling them that I was a dancer and that I wanted to be in dance class. And you know, one was a lawyer and one was a dentist. So they really had no <laughs> idea where I got they didn't even know who taught me the word, really. I think I came into this world with that kind of destiny before me. Wow. And would you just go dancing around the house? I invented a dance class and told them that I was a star dancer. And then when I was three, they put me in dance class and then I stopped talking about it. And then I was just all about being a dancer. And it's always what I wanted to do. Even though I don't think they really believed that. I think they were still hoping that maybe I'd like go to law school or something. <laughs> just a phase. As all parents, you know probably want but yeah it's probably just a 25 year phase yeah exactly <clears throat> yeah the whole way i was all about dancing and loved musical theater loved broadway shows loved you know musicals grew up watching musicals and singing musicals and so and in your mind as you're growing up and dancing is that become a goal of yours like i want to do that yeah i mean the whole time i always knew that i wanted to dance in Broadway shows or film and TV. And I just always wanted to be a performer. I loved performing. Huh. That's fantastic. I still don't know what I want to do. I think you are a performer as well. I think you are a comedian. Because I do stand-up comedy? Yeah. That was an excellent deduction. <laughs> and as you do your Dr. Berlin, some of the best comedic banter I know. Oh, you mean during session? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's my favorite. I mean, with that giant energy you have, it's just impossible not to. And you're hilarious, too. You're a hilarious dancer, singer, actor, mother, author, person. <laughs> Thank you. All the hyphens. All the hyphens. So, like, was there a moment of, like, this is my break in getting into performing? Yeah, I mean, 
I started working pretty young, again, growing up in LA. You know, I think we started doing like professional dance jobs when I was a teenager. And when I was 19, I got into Alvin Ailey School of Dance in New York. So I went there for a summer after college. And I think that was part of the big break because that's when I really realized I could do it. But then booking the producers, the Broadway show, the first national tour, I think that I would probably look back and say that was like the big break because that was like when I got into the union and started making a real living. Because modern dance, you don't get paid that much money. Mm. But in the producers, I like I was able to tell my parents, like, I have health insurance or a 401k. And they were oh. like, really? It was like a real job, you know? Oh, so did they give up dentistry and law? <laughs> so then I started paying the mortgages. <laughs> so I felt very legitimate after that as an artist and as a performer. Yeah. Is traveling like that from city to city, did you enjoy that lifestyle? I did. I mean, you know, when you're in a big show like that, you do sit in cities a bit longer than, let's say, like a rock band or a pop tour where you're in a city for one night. Like when you're in these big shows, you sit for anywhere between two weeks to, you know, six months in a city. Oh. But I I also have toured at that other pace. I was a backup singer for Erasure for a year. And that was more like different city every night, like waking up being like, where are we? Where are we going? You know, that was its own beast. That's interesting. That's my life now. <laughs> you wake up in a different city every day? I, no, I just wake up. I'm like, where are we? What are we doing here? How did we get here? What are we supposed to do today? <laughs> but I do love seeing different cities and just walking around. I mean, I like going to the historical places too and the places you're supposed to go. But I think I kind of even like more just going for a walk and not knowing where you're going and just like exploring places and meeting people and I mean, not to like work my book in, but when you travel like that and meet people, you really realize that we're all the same. We're all one. We're all humanity. I think people that travel a lot can be the most connected to love and humanity because we get to learn that we are all humans. We're all the same. From like culture to culture, sort of speak, and focus much more on what we have in common than what we don't. Yes. And the beauty of our shared humanity and our shared experiences. Hmm. That's pretty powerful. I have so much to talk to you about, but I do have one question about Broadway before we move on. Any moments of like major flop that you had to cover? <laughs> um, I almost, <laughs> one, one of my dancer friends, like I always say she saved my life. I had started kind of being moved around between casts a few times and Susan Stroman, the director, they, they moved me into a different tour at one point. I was in Australia and then I went to LA and then I went to Atlanta and I had not slept and I didn't know anything. And my body just kind of bounced me back into a different part. And that can be dangerous when you're dancing. And I like literally just turned the wrong way and was about to like barrel into another dancer. And my other friend like took her arm around me like a football player and like threw me into my spot. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) I like, and then I remembered which part I was supposed to do. So Uh, that was more me, but yeah, that's gotta be really confusing playing different parts in the same production. Yes. But to everyone listening, part of the reason I know Dr. Berlin so well is because of that show. In that show, I wore a sausage on my head (laughs) and it weighed a lot. And I have a wonky Mel Brooks sausage neck. To this day. And that's what they call it in the medical literature. There's <laughs> tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, and wonky sausage Melbrook neck. Wonky sausage neck. Yeah, whatever. Not necessarily in that order. Yeah. 
Uh, now we've come a long way and you are married and you started a family. Let's take a little break and we come back. We'll find out how that all went down. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. (laughs) Hey everyone. It's Dr. Berlin. And I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart. Literally omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell. Perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Rachel Montez Miner. So, Rachel. Yes. Where'd you meet your husband? We actually met on a television show that I was dancing on. I think it was on CBS. It was like a big Christmas special extravaganza, tree lighting situation. And my husband, Ricky Minor, was the musical director of the television show. And I was a dancer on the television show. Oh, office place romance. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, I never thought I would meet my husband on a job because in the dance world, I I hadn't met that many, you know eligible men. (laughs) So yeah, it was a very natural way to meet. And we got to kind of spend all day together because I think our call was like seven in the morning for an 8 p.m. show. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Literally hanging out all day. As they say in show business. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Okay. So it got serious at some point. It took a while. We were friends first, but we just had our 10 year of when we met. I think it was like November 13th or something. So that's fun. 10 years and a marriage and a baby later. But yeah, we were friends first and then started dating about like a little less than a year later. I mean, how does that work when you're traveling a lot? You know, it was timing because by that time I had realized I was wanting to get married and well, I'm not necessarily married. I was wanting to find my life partner and I knew that I wanted to be a mom. So by this point, I'm you know in my mid-30s, and I'll never forget going to my annual physical and my doctor telling me it was time to put having a child on the front burner. Oh. Because I think I was like 35. She's like, it's time to put it on the front burner. And I was like, hmm. hmm. So I had consciously kind of stopped touring. By the time I met Ricky, I was like centered, living in LA. I got a dog to oh. ground me, and I think that really helped ground me. And I started, you know, telling my agents, I want to stay in town. I want to do film and TV. I want to stay here. So I consciously shifted because I knew I wanted a relationship and I wanted to start a family. So I was here at that point. And Ricky was the same, you know, he had toured for years and years and it was the same thing. He had kind of come off the road about a decade earlier. Mm. So it was the stars aligned. Oh, but I mean, you guys could really relate to each other on a different level. Yes. Yes. On all the levels. We relate to each other on all the levels. All the levels. And then you said, let's start a family. And it took a minute. Yes. So 
we actually started trying before we got married because we had been living together for years already. And I think at that point I had turned like 38 and I was just like, I'm 38. We need to start trying. And when I say try, it was like trying without trying. Like we basically just like stopped wearing protection. Like we weren't like tracking my ovulation or any of that stuff. I wasn't taking the prenatals, nothing. Like we just kind of stopped wearing protection. (laughs) Pulled the goalie. Yeah. And like a year went by and I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to have to shift the things. And then I had said to myself, if I turn 40 and it hasn't happened yet, you know, maybe we need to like look into IVF or something. So that's what we did. And we did the first part of IVF whenever we even got to the second. I don't know if you even know this, Dr. Berlin. And we did like the egg retrieval and we got a whole bunch of embryos. I think there was like, you know, they were like, you have like 12 embryos and none of them tested okay in the genetic testing. Oh. Yeah. So the doctor right away was like, let's just do it again. Cause it's a numbers game. I remember them saying that to me and I felt like in the center of my heart, intuition gut screaming loud. No. And my husband was surprised that I didn't want to try it again. But I just got this hit from the universe that that was not the way it was going to happen for me. And I needed to dive into my spirituality. Like I got this feeling inside and we left out earlier that I've been practicing yoga since I was like 17 and I'm a big, really into meditation. And when I get these feelings in my intuition, I listen and that's exactly what I did. So I started meditating more, practicing more yoga. I went to acupuncture. And I started the like Chinese herbs my acupuncturist put me on. And I started spending more time in nature. Where's nature? You know, like the oceans and the mountains of Los Angeles. Oh, okay. (laughs) Plenty of nature around here. And then four months later, we got pregnant naturally. Wow. That's pretty amazing. I mean, you know, we have a similar story. My wife and I, that we went through all this fertility stuff for years And I didn't get that cool thing in my gut that said, hey, don't do that. It's going to happen naturally. We just ran out of options. They were like, we have nothing left to try. And then like nine months later, we found out we were pregnant. Did you do IVF? We did a bunch of IVF. None of them worked. Wow. I mean, one worked. We got pregnant with twins and then they didn't make it past the first trimester. Oh, I'm so sorry. How old was your wife? Very young. I mean, yeah. So... Let's see, somewhere around 27. Oh, you guys were babies. Yeah. Yeah, so I got pregnant naturally at 40, but I really think a lot of it had to do with me slowing down. Because now that I look back, I realized me turning inward spiritually and and dedicating more time to my yoga practice, to meditation, to taking walks in nature, what that really meant is that I slowed down, right? And even drinking the Chinese herbs my acupuncturist gave me, they take like a half an hour to make. Oh, wow. And it became like a ritual that I did twice a day. So I think all of this slowing down. I feel like there's nothing in the tea. It's just the ritual. You know, it felt like I was drinking the earth. Like when you look at this tea, it was like twigs. And so I was like, I am connecting to mother nature in this moment. Wow. And I also just started, like, my dreams started getting very vivid. Like, the month before I got pregnant, I knew I was going to have a girl. Her name came to me in the dream. What? 
And then I saw this like huge bumblebee, like this bee was bigger than my face. And then I looked it up because the name that came to me, which is her middle name, Nakia, it's used in like uh, ancient Egypt. But then I found out it's also ancient Arabic and it was also in Hebrew. It means the same thing. Like Nakia, Nakia means faith and purity in like ancient Egyptian and like Arabic, it means faith in Hebrew, it means truth. And I looked up what the bumblebee means and in an ancient Egyptian culture, it meant fertility, like the queen of fertility. Wow. And- it's also, you know, before Apple and Samsung, it was a pretty popular cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Also looking back, like I only did IVF because I turned 40 and I had like programmed myself. And I think we're all programmed to think, oh my gosh, if you're not pregnant by 40, you have to do IVF like instantly. And, you know, maybe you do, and maybe that's your journey. But there are a lot of different avenues you can take. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And a lot of times we look back at things and realize, the thing for you, though, is you get these strong messages from the universe. And I don't know. I don't think I have good cell service on that. <laughs> I'm like one bar. Well, I, I think you have a clear signal. Look at all of the incredible children you have welcomed into the world as a doula. Like you are clued into the matrix. Oh, there's a great transition here. Wonderful segue. Let's skip over your whole pregnancy and talk about birth. Yeah. Let's just skip over the nine months where you were growing. Let's skip over the whole trimester where you were sick every single day when you were growing a human. There was that, but I mean, we're going to get back to that a little because in the next segment, we're going to talk about your awesome new book. So you had a plan for birth. Obviously, this kind of earthy, natural, drink the twigs and stuff kind of girl. Yes. <laughs> what was the plan for birth? Well, you know, I was like, I want a home birth. And there are two parents in this, and my husband was not comfortable with that. So what we had decided on was that I was going to get a birth doula and we were going to stay at home like as long as possible and then go to the hospital. So I like to say that I had three births because I was at home for like a full 24 hours. Like my birth started at 5 a.m. on a Saturday and we didn't go to the hospital until 5.30 a.m. on Sunday. And when I got to the hospital, I was eight centimeters already. So she, she really honored what we wanted. So that first birth at home, I mean... I didn't know it at the time, but I was experiencing back labor. Like I only felt it in my back. I never felt a contraction in my front the entire time. Wow. Yep. And I was like, I don't want to take anything. And my doula was like, you were so strong. And she kept trying to move the baby. And I mean, my whole neighborhood, you know, (laughs) she had me me walk in this neighborhood and she was putting the big um, like pashminas over my head. So no one would see me, but like everyone in the neighborhood, like knew I was going through birth because they were like seeing me walk and then like stop and have a contraction. And she had me doing the one leg up and down on the thing. And she had me going up a hill and, you know, we like oh. the hills and it was like night and there was like coyotes and the moon. And I was, you know, it was deep, but all in my back, so painful. My husband was, you know, holding where he was supposed to hold and the pain got so dull and intoxicating and and it was it was pretty intense but then we got to the hospital and I call this birth number two because they finally made the call my husband and the doula to give me a epidural because by then I think we hit our 28 and it was back labor and I was going in and out of like I don't even remember this by the way at this point like I was like in and out of consciousness oh wow and now I've gone to 10 and the baby hadn't like dropped yet 
So I was at 10 centimeters and then I got the epidural. So I feel like this is kind of the second part of the birth, which is now that we're going to just kind of like wait and see. And I was able to take like a four hour nap, which was pretty amazing. Yum. And then we just waited and waited and she never dropped into my birth canal. Like it was like, it wasn't even zero. It was like negative something. I saw you the Friday before and she hadn't dropped. Mm -hmm. So she never dropped. And then part three of the birth is that she told me we were going to have to have a cesarean. And I was just like in shock, didn't believe it. And she finally snapped me out of it when she was like, we can do a cesarean right now, or we can do it in an hour and have it be an emergency. And I was like, oh my gosh, just. <laughs> well, when so you put was, it that way. That was hour 34. Wow. So yeah. So many questions. When you got the epidural, what did it feel like to you? So I was 28 hours into back labor. So like I said, I was kind of in and out of consciousness and my doula was so honoring everything we wanted. Like the room was dark. We had the fake candles. We had the yoga meditation music playing. And I remember she was patting my third eye with her finger and like chanting while they were doing the epidural. So all I remember like feeling the tapping, you know, like the Reiki tapping on my forehead Mm. while the epidural went in. And then once it kicked in, did just totally numb everything for you? No, but it took away the back pain, but it's weird. I could kind of still feel the rhythm of the contractions. Mm. Like I could still feel the rhythm, but the pain was gone because they were hoping I would still be able to push. So maybe they didn't give me like a full, you know? Yeah. Well, it was because you were close to... I was 10. You were 10 centimeters, so you're close to pushing. Yeah, well, sometimes the rhythm is going to get you. Yeah, but the rhythm did not get me for once. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, you made the call for a cesarean, which is so opposite the original plan you were dreaming of. Okay. Were you alert and aware for that? So, you know, I hadn't really eaten. I tried some blueberries at one point and, of course, threw it right up when we were at home. And I hadn't really drank. So I was, again, kind of in and out. This I is no time for that. drinking, Rachel. <laughs> I do remember <laughs> them kind of putting my arms out. Oh, to strap it down? Yeah, and I felt like I was on the cross. Oh. And I said to my doula again, I was like, I feel like I am on the cross right now and I'm literally giving up my body. Because I was a dancer for so long, the thought of them like cutting through my abs, which is like the core of me, I was like, I am sacrificing my body for this human being. Wow. So I was able to look at it from a spiritual point of like putting me on the cross basically so I could sacrifice my body and guide this soul in. And it was interesting because my doula picked up on it and instead of yoga meditation, all of a sudden she started like doing Hail Marys on the way. Like She like moved into Christianity on me. Wow. And she was Hail Marying me on the way into the operating room and they let her come in, which was awesome. And stay for the birth? She stayed for the cesarean with my husband. Wow. She kept, she kept the music going. And even though it wasn't dark in there, we worked to keep the space sacred, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like we stayed in a meditative centered place the entire time. And then when the baby was born, my husband immediately started talking to her and followed her and never left her side. And it was a very beautiful moment, even though it was not what I had planned. Yeah, that's really special that you were able to adapt. It sounds like your doula was amazing too. And your husband was amazing. Like what a a team. Can I give my doula a shout out? Yeah, sure. You know, Kefri. Kefri Riley. 
she's the bomb. And she had been my prenatal yoga teacher. So we were really close by then. You were bonded. By the way, once you said it was Kefri, everything you just said makes perfect sense. Right? (laughs) All the cool stuff that she did to help you. All right. So now we're going to talk about this book, but we're going to take a break first and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to author and mommy, Rachel Montez Minor. Okay. You had a kid, and while you were pregnant, which we glossed over, you had this vision for a book. Mm. First, I want to know about the vision. Like, were you sleeping in it? You woke up with it, or yes, did you so, dream it out? So many a book and vision came to me while I was pregnant with her. So, you know. We already discussed like the month before I got pregnant, I knew she was coming. So I was pregnant with her just about one month pregnant, like very early, like wasn't even telling people early. And I was asleep and I saw children sitting in a circle and they were chanting. I could see them chanting. I could see the words in different languages and they were sitting in a circle. And then the title of the first book kind of woke me up. And then the whole book came downloaded to me. And luckily I slept with the dream journal by me and I was able to just get it out. And then that night, like three different books came to me. And over my pregnancy, I had like 11 different books come to me the same way. The title would come and then it would just download. Would you write it down right away? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Pre-pregnancy and fertility, had things like this come to you previously? I had kind of like psychic dreams about people more, or, you know, I have had some mystical experiences in my life, but Mm. this was the first time where I was getting like books downloaded to me that like rhymed. (laughs) And I mean, this is trippy. My editor told me this first book that we chose, you know, my lit agent, once I got one was the exact amount of pages a children's book is supposed to be. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is not. I didn't even know that that was a thing, by the way. Yeah, it's so random that it would be, especially if you'd never heard that before. No. And again, like I tell people, like I never sat down to be a children's book author. I never was like, this is what I'm going to do after I have a child. I'm going to switch careers. It chose me, I think, the same way that being a performer chose me, you know, and I'm just trying to be the vessel that the messages come through. And in editing everything, I've always just been trying to stay true to the messages of these books. And all of the books that came to me are very mystical and about our oneness and about our connection to each other, about our common humanity. Yes. At the beginning, when you talked about traveling around the world mm-hmm. and seeing different people, different cities and countries and focusing on like, wow, we're unique, but we're all the same. And that's pretty cool to have that kind of experience. Uh, The Sun, the Moon, and the Stars. What's this book about? And why did you pick it to be the first? So truth be told, I kind of did not pick it to be first. There is a series of books that came. There are seven of them. And I thought that that should be the first thing we did. But my literary agent, when she read everything, she thought The Sun, the Moon, and the Stars really was the first one. So I got to give her the credit for choosing this to be the first. And this was also the first book that we sent to the publishers. So this was the book that got me the multi-book deal. So she was right. And it is about our connection to each other, humanity and to our families, but also our connection to the universe. So we all have the ability to shine our light like the sun and to glow like the moon. 
to sparkle like the stars. We can all help each other through dark times. Like just like when you're stuck out at sea and back in the day, people used to look at the stars to guide them home. I mean, we all have that capability to do for each other. And this book is about connecting to our families, to each other and to the universe that we all possess this power. And the message of the book is that you are the universe and the universe is you. So there's no one like you and your light needs to be here. And we need to help lift humanity up and lift each other up. So beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) And so timely. I mean, really, it's having a strong emotional effect on me hearing you say it that way. I just feel like you just every day see people that just so focus on, I don't like this about you. I don't like that about you. You're different than me. You're different. But we're like 99.9% the same. And we do have the ability to help each other and to heal each other. And it just makes you wonder, like, if everybody had that mindset what would this world be like? And, um, and that's why we're here on this journey. We are here to shine our light. And no one has the blend of magic that each single human being has. So it's also about teaching our children how much they matter and how special they are and how much we can help each other. It's all about connection to each other and connection to the universe. I mean, I'm also hoping that people will be encouraged to kind of like When you're with your family, put down your phones and get out into nature, look up into the sky on a beautiful day, watch the sunset with your family and talk to your children about the magnificence of the skies and the stars and all of that too. Does your daughter like reading your book? Oh yes. She carries it around like a stuffed animal. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really, really amazing. She knows that it's mommy's book and she knows that I wrote it and I can't wait till she's a little older. You know, she's only three because to me, this is really her book. This is her message to the world. And she inspired the little girl on the cover. She's just magic. Oh, magic begets magic. (laughs) She's magic from the stars. All of our children are, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. They come out and you love them and you're not sure why. Like (laughs) they didn't do anything to earn it. Um, Ricky got involved a little bit. Your husband, your insanely talented musical genius husband. Yes. So my husband, Ricky Minor, and I wrote a lullaby to go along with the children's book because, you know, for the audiobook, I was wondering, like, do a lot of people listen to children's books on audiobook? Because, like, the whole point is looking at the pictures, right? So we thought it would be great to have a lullaby included so that if you're listening to it in the car or, you know, at home, you can have a lullaby to help rock your child to sleep. So it's called You Were Always Loved. I wrote the lyrics and Ricky wrote the music. And our daughter makes a little cameo at the end. Oh, so sweet. Her first time in the recording studio. How long is it? Oh, it's short. It's like a minute and a half. Ooh, shall we play it? Ooh, I would love that. You know what? Let's play it for us to listen to and for the audience to listen to. You are always 
sleep, my love. Go to sleep, my darling. that's you singing. Yes, I sang it. It was funny. I was telling Ricky, I was like, don't you think you should call one of your artist friends and have them sing it? <laughs> but no, it's me. I sang it. Well, the whole thing comes from your heart. So that's yeah. beautiful. Your book's been really well received and it's the first children's book to be named Hudson Bookstore Read of the Month. How did that come about? You know, we sent it to Hudson Books to just be included in their stores. You know, they have stores all over the nation and all the airports. And we were just hoping just to be included. And, you know, I don't really know exactly how it happened, but they came back to us. We were just like hoping to be in the store. And they said, we are so moved by this book and we stand behind it and we were choosing it. It's the first time in our history we've ever chosen a children's book as read of the month. And yeah, so it's been so trippy. All my friends, when they traveled Thanksgiving weekend, people were sending me photos of just my books in the windows and they had, you know, like stacks of them. And it was such an honor. And I'm so grateful to have my book out in the world. And the best thing is when people send me photos of their kids with the book. Oh, And there's been some people, you know, social media, I have a strange relationship with, as you know, I prefer to not be on devices frequently, but, you know, some people from my past, like from elementary school found out and they're sending me pictures of their kids, like reading the book. And it's so mind blowing and amazing. And I'm so grateful. That's so special. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, now I think that towards the end of the episode, people who heard my introduction about you being a nighttime construction worker's giant light that lights up the whole street, (laughs) I think that they know what I'm talking about. And when you described the message of the book to me, I literally got teary-eyed. And I don't get art usually, so this is big. Oh, you you get an art. You, You love a Mel Brooks comedy. Yeah, I get comedy, but this is not comedy. All right. You have a a bunch more books. You might be working on a musical. There's a lot to follow here. Where can we find you online? You can find me on Instagram at at Rachel Montez Minor or Facebook at Rachel Montez Minor, or I have my website, rachelmontezminor.com. I was going to (laughs) guess. What was I saying? Sausage Head. Sausage Head. I bet you have another account called Sausage Head where you're just voyeuristically look around social media see what's going on and the next book is slated for fall of 2023 so we're almost done editing that right now you know children's books take a lot longer than i realized that's something i've learned you know illustrators it takes like a full year to illustrate a children's book wow i mean i think if you actually think about it that makes sense yeah but when you just pick one up and flip through it in three minutes that doesn't make sense yeah exactly, exactly. but now we know we got the inside scoop Rachel, I heart you. You're amazing. Thank you for being you and thank the universe for letting me spend some time with you. And I look forward to everything that's coming from you. It's already big and it's only going to get bigger. Thank you, Dr. Berlin. And I feel the same way about you. And you're such a blessing to pregnant women. I mean, gosh, I'm so happy I found you on the journey. And you do one of the most important things. You help usher souls into this world. So you are a magical person. And one day we're going to work on this musical together. Oh, yes. Our uh, pregnancy musical comedy. Yes. (laughs) I can't wait. Ring of fire. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love it. All right. Thanks so much for being here at home. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to connect with me, go to drberlin.com or on Instagram at drberlin. It's all spelled out D O C T O R B E R L I N. Give me the news, I got a ho!